Hey, good morning, church family. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. We're going to get there in just a few minutes. And today we're going to talk about one word, rhythm. Repeat after me, rhythm. And let's just be honest. It's a word that some of you have and some of you do not. And you know who you are. Like one of the ultimate tests about whether you have rhythm or not is if you're ever at an event, a sporting event, a wedding reception, you're in a group setting and the DJ plays the song, everybody clap your hands. Do you know what to do? And maybe you know what everyone else should do, but you still don't want to do it because you know that you just don't have rhythm. What do you think of when you think of the word rhythm? Most people think of some form of dance. And there's some dances that are universal. You should know how to do it even if you don't have rhythm, like YMCA. YMCA should be one of those songs that when it comes on, you may not know what to do, but when it comes to the chorus, you should be able to hold up your hands and to do a YMCA. But when it comes to something like Thriller and Michael Jackson, this is not something you should try at home or that you should try at a party. You just need to enjoy the entertainment and the giftedness from those who know how to do something like that. I don't know if you watched the movie Hitch a few years ago, but there was a scene where, I mean, one guy, Kevin James, his character does not know how to dance at all. And Will Smith's character is trying to encourage him on how not to make a fool of himself out on the dance floor. And, and he's trying to get rid of all the dances of making a pizza or doing a Q-tip and throwing it away and trying to get him to live right here. 90 degrees, everybody should be able to do this right here. I don't know if you watched the movie The Cutting Edge years ago. Or if you watched the Winter Olympics where there's ice skating with the couples and how in sync they have to be. And the practice that has to go into them being in rhythm with each other. Every movement, every step, every flip, every catch, they have to be in rhythm. Rhythm has become one of my favorite words to think about faith and walk with God. The Bible talks so much about walking with God. So a lot of times the question I ask or how I talk to people about spirituality and faith is what is your rhythm with God? Do you know that God is inviting you into a healthy rhythm? And I want to talk about that in just a few moments in Luke chapter 6 of how Luke 6 teaches us about rhythm with Jesus. But before I get there, the word rhythm also has become a word I love to think about the church. I love to think about how the church is in step with each other. This, this month we are in a series called One Step, just one small step. And it's good for you to think in your life, what is a step toward God that you were making this year? It's also a great way to think about the church. How are we stepping together? Because when you have an eclectic, diverse, multi-generational church that is committed to stepping toward God and stepping into the mission of Jesus, the kind of impact that can be felt all over the world, it's enormous. And here at this church, we talk about the five commitments. So this month, you're going to hear us talk some about the five commitments and about our mission and about our vision and about core values and how all of these are inviting us to take a step together. So for anyone who goes through a membership process here at Sycamore Review, what we ask of those who want to become members and what we ask of members is that there are five commitments. And this isn't because we want something from you as much as we want something for you. And let's look at those five commitments just real quick. On January 30th, we're going to have a Commitment Sunday. But just as a reminder, there is the commitment of Discover, which means that here at Sycamore View, we want members to have joined in a journey of following Jesus. And if you have not, we want to invite you into what it means to surrender a life to Jesus and to be baptized. So you are on a discipleship journey. Part of Discovery is we're just asking you, will you just show up? Just be present. Whether you are in person or you are online, we just want you in a church, in a worship setting where we're sharing in teaching and we're sharing in song. 
be on time, have an attitude of someone who is prepared to meet with God and to enjoy fellowship with the body. That's discover. Connect and honestly connect for at least two years has been one of the hardest commitments for us. And connect, we were just asking people to either be involved in a Bible class or in some kind of discipleship group effort, discipleship effort, so through life groups, just some kind of community where you are uh, feasting on Jesus together. You're talking about spirituality, some kind of community for you. We have a commitment of serve. And here at Sycamore View, we have so many ways for you to connect to serve, and sometimes it feels like there are so many that you aren't really sure exactly what to do. And we're going to have a ministry fair, a ministry team fair, on January 30th, during class and after second service, in which we are going to introduce you to our ministry team so you can know who they are and so that you can get connected through them because it is the best way for you to commit to serving here at Sycamore View. We have a commitment of give. And this is primarily a financial commitment. I think it is a good goal for you to have in your life, for you to tithe, for you to have at the base, at minimum 10% that you give away. The earlier in life you develop this discipline, the more it can sustain you through the rest of your life. Casey and I developed this discipline our first year of marriage. We decided from then on we were going to give at least 10%. And that year we made $11,000. That's when we began this discipline of giving at least 10%. But we want a a, a gift, we want a commitment of generosity that flows from you. And it's not so much because we want something from you, we want something for you. We know what this can do for people. And there's a commitment of go. That we hope here at Sycamore View, in the way I preach, and the way we lead, and the way we share life together, is that we are being sent from this place to go live out the Great Commission everywhere we go. And you think about the impact that our church has. We have people in this church who have jobs that you are coming in contact with tens of thousands of people every single week, and the kind of impact that can come from this church. So those are our five commitments. And here in the last two years, just during COVID, we've had over 40 family units place membership at our church, and they have learned about the five commitments. And whether you have committed to this church, to this local body, in the last three months, the last two years, the last five years, if you are new to this church, we, we need you. We need your ideas. As we continue to invent and to reinvent who we are, we need you to be a part, a part of what we're doing. We, we need you to be a part of our future. We're thankful for you. And if you've been a part of the Sycamore View body for 20 plus years, maybe all 44 years that we have been in this location, we need you. There is no desire for us to move into the future by disconnecting ourselves from our past. We need your wisdom, we need your experience, we need your loyalty. So as a church, we step in rhythm, whether you got it or not, step by step, deeper into God and into a community and into the world that God has called us to serve. Now, let me go into Luke chapter 6 with you this morning. I'm so excited about this message. I have probably preached a form of Luke chapter 6 at least a half dozen times in this church. It is the main message that I take when I travel and I speak. In the next few weeks, I will be in, 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 uh, in a room with multiple leaderships from different states, and I will walk them through Luke chapter 6, verse 12 through 19. And in Luke chapter 6, verse 12, and this is where I want to begin, and this is where I want to spend the large majority of our time this morning. In Luke chapter 6, verse 12, it says, One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. He spent the night praying to God. What have you spent the night doing before? And this isn't the only time Jesus would do something like this. He spent the entire night in prayer to God. 
Now here's what we know. We know when Jesus is up around the Sea of Galilee, when Jesus spent time up around the Sea of Galilee, so around Capernaum and, and some of those smaller towns, Jesus would go to mountainsides to pray. And we know that when Jesus was in Jerusalem, Jesus would go to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. So Jesus had mountainsides up near the Sea of Galilee, and he had a garden. Jesus had mountainsides and gardens. And I know we don't have a lot of mountainsides around Memphis, but everybody needs some kind of mountainside or a garden, some space where you go to be with God. Now, sometimes the best you have to, have to give to God in your life, it's that five-second prayer, the 15-second prayer, the 30-second prayer, because you're, you're going from appointment to appointment to appointment. And sometimes the best you have to give to God is one word like help or thanks or a phrase like God be with me. Sometimes it's the best you have, and heaven knows what to do with those short little prayers. But if you want to follow in the rhythm of Jesus... Life with God is not just about the short little prayers. It's about creating and committing to some space with God in your life. Jesus had mountainsides and Jesus had gardens. He committed to space. And Jesus had just as many distractions as we have today. Jesus was just exhausted as we are today. All the excuses you can come up with to keep you from solitude with God... Jesus had those same excuses. Jesus also lived in a time of production where there was always a task in front of Jesus. From what we know, he had a three-year ministry. In those three years, think of all the demons he drove out, all the healings, he, uh, all the, healing, the people he made well, all the teachings he gave, everywhere he traveled. In three years, yet in that three years, knowing he had so many tasks to accomplish, Jesus always made time to commit to space to be with God. For us, we live in a culture of production where so much of life is what you can produce and what you can prove. So we live our lives in relationships and in our jobs trying to prove our worth, trying to prove our competency, trying to prove that, uh, that, trying to, trying to prove that we matter. And when it comes to solitude, there is nothing that you can prove to God. When it comes to solitude and being with God, this isn't a thing where you commit to two minutes or five minutes, 30 minutes or two hours that God's going to hand you a ribbon at the end. Jesus committed to space. What does your space look like? What does your solitude to God look like? What does it say about God that there's even something like solitude? where solitude is a time where the creator of the world who is busier than anyone you could ever imagine is willing to give you his undivided attention no matter where you are. What does it say about God? And what does it say about Jesus? As many things, and many, as many tasks were in front of him every day of his life that he would commit to space with God. In Luke chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. This was just part of his rhythm. And could it be that Jesus allowed God to set the pace for his life? He didn't let people set the pace. He didn't let tasks set the pace. Some of you need this right now. You allow people to set the pace for your life and you allow tasks to set the pace for your life and hope that somewhere in there some spiritual growth may happen. Instead of committing yourself to space where God can have his way with you. When you get on a treadmill, for those of you who occasionally do, 
You get on a treadmill, and when you get on a treadmill, you set the pace. You choose the program for your workout. You set the pace by, do you want to go four mile, mile per hour that day where it may just be a nice little walk while you watch Food Network? I don't know what you watch when you're on a treadmill. You could crank it up to six, seven mile per hour pace where you, you got you a nice little light jog. You could crank it up to 25 miles per hour just to see if you can move at a Usain Bolt pace. You get on a treadmill, you set the pace. And for too many of us, what we do is we set the pace for our lives and we ask God to move at our pace. And that's not the way God likes to do life. Jesus was committed to space. In chapter 6, verse 12, it's about solitude. And then it becomes the rhythm. And this is the exercise I use with God uh, regularly. Uh, we led our staff through this conversation the other day about solitude. In chapter 6, verse 12, Jesus commits to solitude. In chapter 6, verse 13, Jesus comes out of that place of solitude and Jesus calls together his 12 apostles where there is community. So Jesus goes from solitude to community and then right after calling together that community in verse 17, Jesus begins engaging in all different forms of ministry, service, compassion. Jesus begins teaching. He's healing people. He's driving out demons. So Henry Nouwen points out that in the life of Jesus in Luke 6, you have what is called the Jesus rhythm or the Jesus paradigm where there is solitude, community, and ministry. And this becomes the rhythm of Jesus throughout the rest of his life. It becomes the rhythm Jesus hands on to his apostles. And if you read the book of Acts, it's the rhythm that the church has in the book of Acts. Where there is solitude and commitment to space with God. There is community and meaningful relationships in life. And there is ministry and service that is happening. So if you were to look at solitude, community, and ministry, how are you doing right now? And not that God wants you like a third of your life in each one of those areas, but if this is the three-legged stool, if this is the rhythm of Jesus, this should be the rhythm for us too. So here's this rhythm in the life of Jesus. So if solitude, community, and ministry that he hands on to other people. Henry Nouwen, when he writes about solitude, community, and ministry, he says this about discipline. That once you, have the, once you have made the choice to say, yes, I want to follow Jesus, the question is, what disciplines will help me remain faithful to that choice? Disciple and discipline come from the same word. Spiritual growth just doesn't happen. You make commitments to being in space, space with God where it happens. Henry Nouwen defines discipline like this, the effort to create some space in which God can act. It's the effort to create some space in which God can act. How challenging do you think solitude was for Jesus? Maybe it came easy to Jesus. Maybe it was super challenging. Because I bet Jesus went into solitude with a lot of distractions and to-do lists and exhaustion. How hard do you think community was for Jesus at times? He was rejected by everybody. Rejected by his own family, rejected by the religious community, rejected by his own apostles. He was rejected by everyone, yet he kept risking in community again. How challenging was ministry for Jesus? It had to have been exhausting having that many people who wanted a piece of who he was and what he had to give. Yet one of the reasons solitude was so important to the life of Jesus is because Jesus knew that solitude with God is where his worth came from. And if he or you ever forget 
that your worth comes in solitude and space from being with God, if you forget that, then you will begin to try to find worth in everything else. You'll try to find worth in community, and you will try to find worth in the tasks you can accomplish in life, which will always let you down. So one way to read Luke chapter 6, verse 12, is that it prepares Jesus for a life of community and a life of ministry. And usually when I teach Luke chapter 6, it goes something like that. Where we talk about rhythm, we talk about solitude, the community, and service in your life, and how you need to have all of these somehow, like a rhythm that's keeping you engaged in all of these. And that's usually how I teach it. I begin in Luke 6, verse 12, that it prepares you, it prepared Jesus for a life of relationships and a life of ministry. But just for a moment, I want to show you what is before that. In Luke chapter 6, verse 1 through 11, there are two Sabbath days. And in both these Sabbath days, there's really no other way to say it, but Jesus does not make friends. In the first story, he has apostles who are walking through a grain fields. They reach out their hand, they grab some wheat, they eat it, and the Pharisees don't like it. So Jesus ends up talking to them about what it means that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. The second story, it's a Sabbath day. Jesus is in a synagogue, and there's a man whose arm doesn't work properly. And this man, as far as we know it, isn't in the synagogue to be healed by Jesus. He's in a synagogue because that's just what you do. Yet in that space, Jesus chooses to heal him. And in chapter 6, verse 11, what you see is people didn't like it. And what it says is the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and they began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. So in chapter 6, verse 11, Jesus is rejected by people who knew the Bible the best. So one way to read Luke chapter 6, verse 12 is to prepare Jesus for a life of community and ministry. Another way to see Luke chapter 6, verse 12, it's where Jesus went for healing when there was human rejection. It's human rejection that led him to the mountain to remind Jesus that his worth is not in a community and not in people. His worth is in God. Now, I want you to see in chapter 6, verse 11 and chapter 6, verse 13, two verses apart. What you have in one is human rejection, which in that human rejection, it had to be on Jesus' mind that he has been rejected in the moment he had been rejected on the Sabbath day, and throughout his life, there was going to be more rejection to come. Have you ever experienced human rejection in your life? Like, there's, there's, I mean, is there any worse pain that you experience than rejection from people who are closest to you? Yet in chapter 6, verse 13, Jesus chooses to risk in community again, knowing that rejection was going to come from that. And what was able to lead Jesus to a point where Jesus was able to risk again in community is in chapter 6, verse 12, there was solitude with God that reminded Jesus of his worth and his purpose. Throughout all four Gospels, you only have two times where you read about the content Jesus prayed in his space with God. John 17, and then in the garden. Most of the time, you just read that Jesus committed to space for an entire night, or while his apostles were in a storm in Matthew 14, Jesus committed space, and he committed to that space because that is where Jesus was reminded of worth, vision, 
mission, and what life was all about. If you choose to engage in service throughout your life, you step into pain. That's what we do. There's pain in the world, and we step into it to help relieve it and to walk alongside of people who are in pain. If you choose to step into community in your life, there will be pain. Either because of the pain that you walk in with people or the pain that is there because of people. But solitude is a place that we are reminded of beauty. That when there is pain in the world, solitude is where we go to remind ourselves that God and life with God is beautiful. John Tyson is a well-known pastor in New York City. He's written a lot of books. And he had a mentor, a former pastor, retired pastor in New York City, Tim Keller. Well-known author, well-known pastor. And John Tyson talks about, he had this one moment with Tim Keller in which Tim Keller told him this. Tim Keller said, We are exposed to so much brokenness in the city that we must constantly expose our hearts and our minds to beauty. And every Sunday, and right now, part of our practice is teaching and table. Teaching guides us, leads us to the table. There's teaching, and then we come to the table. And that is where we commit and recommit to Jesus. And at the table, we're reminded of one of the most evil events in the history of the world, the cross. And we're also reminded in one of the most evil events, it is also the event that has provided the world and us with beauty. And it's at the table, we're reminded of a rhythm of Jesus, of death, burial, and resurrection. A rhythm that is being shared and embraced by people all over the world today. And we're reminded of a ministry of Jesus, of solitude, community, and ministry. And the life we have been invited into. So today we're going to create just a little space. You're going to have a few minutes to take communion here in just a moment after a prayer. And for you to prayerfully reflect. And here in the coming weeks, hopefully we will be at a point where we can have a little bit more movement in a room. Hopefully we'll be at a point where shepherds will be stationed again to receive people for prayer, where there can be the exchange of hugs and laying on of hands. But right now we're just offering a few moments for you to be with God and that we will be with each other in the presence of God. And there are two things on the, on the screen, whether you're in person or you're at home, hopefully you can see them. One is a statement, one is a question. That Jesus' obedience to his death is an invitation to a rhythm with his life. Reflect on that. And then a question for us this morning over the next few minutes is, how is Jesus calling you into deeper forms of solitude, community, and ministry? And let's pray together. For God, um, I just believe this morning that there were so many moments when Jesus, you could have called it quits, you could have given up, yet you kept risking. You kept risking in solitude, which is where you heard what your assignments were and what your destiny was. You kept risking in community. You kept risking in ministry and service and how you engaged the world, and you risked all the way to the cross. And now in this moment, as we remember your death, we also remember your life. 
in the rhythm you invite us to today. And it's your name that we, in your name that we celebrate and that we take this bread and this cup. In Jesus' name, amen.